today I want to talk to you about just kind of running in circles. Because I, have you ever heard this statement? I seem to meet myself coming and going. Thank you, brother. The roundabout of life. I remember one one year we, uh, well, every year we have college interns. And one year we had our largest number. And I was taking them to lunch. <clears throat> so I put them all in the church van and we took off. And they were just, we got in the van and, man, they were just, just having a great time. I mean, just great fellowship, cutting up, carrying on. And so we're heading south and we get to the traffic circle, the roundabout. And I, I, I'm going around it to go on South MacArthur. And I have this great idea. So I just go around it. And I make a complete circle. And, and nobody ever noticed anything. So I went around it again. Now, if you were my age, you may, re- you may say something like this. Look, kids, Big Ben. You know, but anyway, we went around it, and we went around it, and we went around it. And we, about four times we went around it, and somebody said, Pastor, do you realize you're just going around and around? I said, yes, I do. I wanted to see how long before you really realized it. You know, so the irony of that is sometimes that's how life is. Sometimes we've got to pass up Big Ben several times before we realize, wait a minute, I'm just spinning in circles. That's not how your life is meant to be. We are not meant to live spirally, but linearly. Linearly means I'm moving from point A to point B, not spirally. The only thing that is really successful that goes spirally is a toilet bowl. And you don't want your life to live in a spiral vacuum, pulling you downward. But you want to live linearly to where you're moving forward and being all that God has intended for you to be. Now, when we think about this, you say, well, this is where God wanted me. God put me here. God planted me here. I'm dedicating my life to here to this area. That doesn't mean you should. That's not living spirally. Just because you live in one place, in one ministry, in one apartment, in one neighborhood your whole life, that doesn't mean you're, you're living life circularly. In the middle of where God has strategically positioned you, You should live your life linearly, looking for what it is that God is doing. Now, here's the deal. that There's all kind of signs along the way that will try to divert you and get you to live your life in a circle. So, when we look at this, I want to speak to you this morning from Acts 16. I talked about this. Our sermon was connected to this last week. So, if you weren't here, you may want to pick up that sermon and get the background of it. But in Acts 16, it's an interesting passage of Scripture. It says, Then... Paul, he set off, and he went to Debris and Listeria, and when and he were and were there with a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman. Now, if you go over into Second Timothy, you'll get the the uh, or First Timothy, you'll get the pedigree of uh, of Timothy and his mother. And the faith was in his mother, and the faith was in his grandmother, and that it was a generational thing of faith that was being passed down. But here's what's interesting. He was in the the son of a believing woman, but the father was Greek. And as his father was Greek, it goes and it says, and the brothers of Listeria and Iconia spoke highly of him. He was regarded of, of great regard. And Paul wanted Timothy to go with him, so he took him and he circumcised him. Now, this is an important part here, and I want to spend some time on this this morning. He circumcised him because the Jews who were there in those places since they also knew that his father was a Greek. Now, his mother was a Jew and his father was a Greek. Now, in this one verse, we have two different, not only 
uh, nationalities, but we have two different cultures, two different cultures all together. Uh, somebody, uh, uh, I've seen, I read an article this week where it says they divided the United States up into 11 different, it could be divided up into 11 different na- na- nations, like people live that differently in 11 different regions. And I got to thinking, man, you don't have to go to 11 different regions. I can take you to 11 different streets. Or le- I mean, And on some streets have four or five different cultures and different neighborhoods and different dynamics and different backgrounds right here in Alexandria. You don't have to go that far and, and be that spread out to go across the country to realize there's diversity all around. Now, now Timothy was a, a son who was, was uh, a, a multi-ethnic. Not only multi-ethnic, but multi-racial, multi-cultural. He was a, a multi-type guy. Amen? And so as we look at this, it says they circumcised him because he knew he was going to minister to the Jewish people, and he was, they knew his dad was a very prominent Greek person. Now, it's probably meant it's probably that his father had passed away at this time and was no longer living, but his father was a person of prominence. And had prestige and had influence, and his name still went before him. Now, that's important because it's going to tie in here in just a minute. But go a little bit further with me to verse 4. And as they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders at Jerusalem for them to observe. So they, the churches were strengthened in faith, and they were increased in numbers daily. Daily. Circle that in your Bible. Daily, they increased the numbers in faith. They went through the region of Phygeria and Galatia and and were prevented by the Holy Spirit from speaking the message in the province of Asia. When they came to Missa, they tried to go into Bithynia, uh, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. So bypassing Missa, they came down to Troas, and during the night, a vision appeared to Paul, a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, come across over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, he immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to evangelize them. Then setting sail, it says they went straight course into Samothrace, and the next day in Apopolis, and then from that day into Philippi, the district of Macedonia, and we stayed in that city a number of days. On the Sabbath day, we went out from the city gate by the river, and we went through a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to, a, to the woman gathered, the women gathered there, and a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who worshiped God, was, lis, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart. Underline that in your Bible. He opened her heart to pay attention to what was spoken by Paul, after she and her household were baptized. And she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Now, what does all this mean for us today? Well, the first thing I want you to write down is when we are in a situation and we have all the right methods. In Paul's life, he had all the right methods. The things that he was doing was correct. The things that he was doing was successful. Matter of fact, even the circumcision of young Timothy 
because Paul realized that Timothy had a ton of potential and he wanted him to move forward in the race of faith and the ministry. And they're going to minister to Jewish people. And he knew that he would not be accepted because of his father's Greek lineage. Therefore, he did whatever he had to, not only in the spiritual realm, but in the physical realm to remove the stumbling blocks. Now, in life and the ministry of faith, we must be willing to align ourselves not just with the Word of God spiritually, but it must also translate physically. Now, here's the thing that's interesting about the grace life. That in the grace life, there is a lot of things that you are permitted to do. There's a lot of things that will not send you to hell and it will not break the fellowship of, the, of your relationship with Christ. It will not interrupt the intimacy with the Father. But it may be a stumbling block to people around you. And I'm not going to start naming things to give you examples of them because there's tons of them. Where would we stop? But here's what I'm saying. There's a lot of things that, that you may do that uh, would be a stumbling block to other people. And it's not a mass a issue of can I do it, but it's I choose not to because I choose to have the influence of God upon my life that I may influence other people for the glory of God, that it may make a difference for the kingdom of God, and that it may make a difference for all of eternity. Now, in young Timothy's life, he realized that in between him and the Jews stood a barrier. And so, I mean, this guy, I mean, you don't have to question whether he was all in. I mean, as a young man going and being circumcised, this dude was all in. Can I get a witness? And so he was like, I'm willing to remove whatever stands between me and them. Now, you may say, well, this is just being legalistic. He didn't have to do it. And you're right. He did not have to do it. He did not have to do it because his heart was circumcised. And we know according to the word of God that God's more interested in our heart being circumcised than our foreskins being circumcised of the flesh. Amen. Now here's the interesting dynamic that God is saying is that young Timothy wanted his life to have the biggest impact. And he said, I am willing to take all the right methods and go through all the right things that the power of God may be uninterrupted in connecting with the people where I'm going. Now, here's the interesting dynamic, that when we think about this, if you are going to be a multicultural church and a multi-ethnic church, then you must be a church that is willing to be uncomfortable. You must be a church that is willing to do things that doesn't really mean a whole lot to you, but it means a lot to somebody else. And what God is looking for, can I just say something today? He's not looking for a church that is just multi-ethnic, but a church that is multi cultural because i am telling you today that god is calling us out if you look at the book of acts it was multicultural churches all over the place contrary to what is happening all around us and what the news media tells us we have come a long ways in the struggle over ethnicity and over race in the united states of america however it may seem that we have gone backwards over the last couple of years but here's what i want you to know that the generations that are coming up and will be leading our country in the future do not see color. They do not 
not see it. They do not see it the same way that our generations in the past have seen it. However, so it's not the issue of being a multi-ethnic, multiracial, but it's about being multicultural that in every ethnic group that people, how do we begin to pull people together in a city to reach a city for the glory of God? God did not call us to reach just one people group, and this is evidence of this right here. They're moving out. I mean, look, look, look at all the places that I named that they were going. Do you think they live the same way in every one of those different places? I mean, if you want to get dizzy, just flip to the back of your Bible to the book of Maps and try to trace Paul's missionary journey, what he did with a pair of sandals, a donkey, and a wind-driven water vessel. I mean, this dude accomplished all kinds of stuff for the glory of God. He had the right method. Now, when we think about this and we see it here in verses 1 through 5, they understood the cultures, they understood the religious barriers. Now, here it wasn't so much as a cultural barrier as it was religious barriers because the Jews prided themselves on the circumcision of the flesh so much that the circumcision of the flesh counted more than the circumcision of the heart. Are you out there, church? Now, it was a barrier of religion. Now, I'm telling you today, there's barriers of religion all around us, and you don't have to go to some foreign religion. You don't have to go to some whacked-out religion to say there's barriers. There's people that call themselves evangelicals that cannot worship together, cannot work together, and will not team up to impact a city that is headed straight for a devil's hell because they are too prideful on the barriers of religion to come across and penetrate those religious barriers with one common denominator, that being Jesus Christ and him crucified, to impact a city and the lostness of that city for the glory of God. Now, there's the methods of religion. There's the methods of cultures. There's the methods of the, the, they understood all these methods. They understood the barriers that was all around them. And yet, they were having great success. Now, here's the interesting dynamic. If you understand the barriers, then you know how to begin to penetrate them. And what we have to do as a church is begin to ask ourselves, how do we break the missional code? How do we break the missional code? How do, we, how do we break the code that we can begin to impact a city for the glory of God? You must understand and you must realize that if you want to have a multi-ethnic church, that is very popular today. Family of Grace, when we planted Family of Grace and we wanted to have a multi-ethnic church about eight or nine years ago, we were dreaming this thing into existence and it was in a coffee shop and on a napkin. People who were spiritual mentors to my life said, you're crazy, you don't want to try to have a multi-ethnic church in central Louisiana, they're just not ready for that. And I said, well, that's what God called us to do. He called us to reach the whole city. Not one people, not one race, not one culture. And I don't have a lot of walking around since, so I'm just dumb enough to try it. Amen? So as we look at this, we begin to think about all that God is doing. Now, now today, multi-ethnic is popular. I'm so thankful it's popular. But what's not popular is multicultural. Because I know people that are sold out to a multi-ethnic dynamic, but they're not sold out to a multicultural dynamic. Now, here's the thing that Paul was. He was sold out to both. You must understand, folks, that God has positioned us uniquely on the north side of a city, on the south side of a city, to impact a city from the north and the south, to come together for the glory of God, to begin to impact a city that is overwhelmingly lost, that is overwhelmingly undone. I was speaking to somebody this a uh, couple of weeks ago about unchurched, about the unchurched, the, the unreached people group. 
And they begin to tell me, well, there's a difference between unchurched and unreached. And I begin to think, really, aren't both going to hell? Well, but they have churches around them. An unreached group is, an unreached group always attracts more attention. Because it's, it's a more of an allure. It's like, it's like nobody's ever been there. Matter of fact, when we went to Peru to launch our campus, I mean, we said we're, there was this unreached people group. And uh, it was about two hours, three hours away from Lima. And I said, boy, that's where we want to go, high up into the Andes Mountain. Can I just tell you from the coffee shop in Alexandria, Louisiana, high up in the Andes Mountains, high up there where no other, though there was no church, no gospel, no impact, that was very alluring and appealing to me. However, when we got there, the Holy Spirit wasn't moving. And so we ended up planning in the very place that I had no intention of being. Now, here's the thing that I want you to understand. God is calling us to take the gospel, the gospel, not our set of religious standards, not a set of denominational principles, but God is calling us to take the gospel because the gospel is the only hope. Nations rise and fall. Churches rise and fall. Denominations rise and fall. Kingdoms rise and fall. Rulers rise and fall. Armies rise and fall. But the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ transcends kingdoms. It transcends cultures. It transcends races. And it makes a difference for the glory of God. And God's wanting to move in your heart and your life. And Paul and Timothy and Silas, they understood all of this. And they were having great success. I didn't make it up. I mean, it says it right there. I mean, if you read it with me, it says, uh, man, as they laid this out in verse 5, it says, so the churches were strengthened in faith and increased in number every day. That's, that's pretty good success, isn't it? That's pretty good success. They increased in number every day. 80% of the population of Alexandria, Louisiana is unchurched. If they are unchurched, then more than likely they are unreached. We take for granted that we live in the United States of America. You may be born in the United States of America, and it may give you a, 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 the right to citizenship. You may have a birthright citizenship to the United States of America, but being a, from the country of the United States of America does not give you a birthright into the kingdom of God. And it doesn't mean you know everything about Jesus. God's looking for somebody who's willing to be a Paul and a Timothy and a Silas and begin to impact them. Now, they had their method. And then the second thing was there was the movement. They understood faith and works as defined in James. They understood that it's not about faith or religion. It's not about just your works, but it's about a working kind of faith. That the two have to come together. That if all you have is religion and all you have is uh, all you have is religion and faith and all you have is works and the works of the flesh, listen to me today. The government can do good works. The government can feed people. The government can clothe people. The government can house people. The government can take care of widows. The government can take care of orphans. But the government cannot bring the power of God because it is not the conduit from which God chooses to bring about the impacting of a nation. Now, a government that is overwhelmed by the power of a holy God can begin to impact a nation, but a government was not what God chose to do it. He chose the church. God instituted the church, the church, the thing that people hate so much. 
Well, they have a right to hate it. I mean, look, there's a lot of churches that if I, I mean, I'm born again. I love Jesus. I have signed a blank sheet of paper and told God to fill in the blanks. But there's a lot of churches that I would quit if I had to go to. Why? Because they lost their love for God so long ago. It doesn't mean they didn't have the right method. It didn't mean they didn't have the right principles. It didn't mean they didn't have the right theology. Listen, they're straight as a gun barrel in their orthodoxy, in their religion, in their principles, but they're dead. Matter of fact, God described it this way. Jesus described it in the book of Revelation chapter 3. He, he took, told the church, he said, you're dead. You have a name, but you're alive, but you're dead. Revelation chapter 3. Verses 1 through 3, he lays it out. He lays it out and begins to say, to the angel of the church of Sardis. I remember one day I, uh, I was driving past the church, and there was a church named Sardis. And I thought, man, did they really know what that means? Oh, well, there's a good name in the Bible. Let's just take that one, the church of Sardis. It's got to be good. It's in the Bible. Hello, did you read the next statement? Did you read the next verse? You have a name that you're alive. You have a name that you're up to a lot, but you're really dead. See, they had a right method, and they had a lot of movement. Matter of fact, their movement was great. This was not Paul's first missionary journey that he was planting churches on. Matter of fact, he had already planted churches in all kind of other areas. But what was happening was the church had commissioned them, anointed them, and sent them out to go out and make a difference. And in the process of this, they had all the right movement. They understood faith. They understood works. They understood their love for God. That was not the question. Their love for the people was not a question. But what was in question is, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? They were moving. But as they were moving, there was resisting. Because movement causes resistance. It causes friction. It causes things to rub together. As they were moving, the Bible says, here's what we're going to do. They had a good plan. They put it together. And you know what happened? The Holy Spirit resisted them. Okay, Paul was a trooper. Well, if we can't preach the gospel here, if the Holy Spirit will not allow us to preach the gospel, then I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll just go to this other area. I, I know another good spot. It's kind of like fishing. You know, you go out there fishing, you're like, boy, I got a good spot. You go to your good spot first. And you go to the good spot, and you don't, I, I got another spot. And you go to another spot, and finally you're like, it's just a bad day. All my spots are dead. And so in this passage of Scripture, they went there, and they wanted to preach the gospel. They wanted to plant churches. They wanted to strengthen churches. They wanted to make a difference, and the Holy Spirit resisted them. Now, you have to make a choice when that happens. Do I quit, or do I persevere? And so Paul, he decided to persevere. And so he went to the next place. He went to the next direction. It's laid out there in the scriptures. We just read it. And it says when he got there, the spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow him to do it. Now, they had the right movement. But the right movement in the wrong place doesn't produce the right product. You ever heard this statement? I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. I was in the right place at the right time. What is the difference in being at the wrong place at the wrong time or the right place at the right time? A lot. A lot. On one hand, there's frustration and failure. On the other hand, there's joy and success. And what God is doing is this. Listen, you, God is trying to get us to a place that he can position us not to just move in circles. Now, I'm thankful for Paul that he wasn't just going in circles. Now, here's where we get caught in the circle. Because we realize that, well, this, this is our plan. Man, we've put together a 12-month strategy. God's got to be in this. 
Pete's got to stick to this. I can't waver from it. I'm already committed to it. I'm committed to it personally. I'm committed to it publicly. I can't waver from it. If I come and I say to you as a church, God's changed the plan, that means I must have missed God. And therefore, we're unwilling to say, I may have missed God or God may have redirected or something of that nature. Then all of a sudden, what must we do? We must be willing to go the direction that God is saying. We've got to decide, Lord, will I stick with my plan or will I adhere to your plan? Now, for most churches, what happens is when we strike out on the first trip, when we strike out on the first trip, we're so committed to that trip that we're so in that we just spend our life marching in circles. Well, we got the right method. We got the right method and we got the right movement. So if we just keep doing it long enough, and we have enough friction, something good will happen. Is anybody picking up what I'm putting down? Can I translate that into your personal life? I'm doing the right things. I'm going to church. I'm tithing. I'm doing the right things. If I just keep doing it enough, then all of a sudden, God's going to give me everything I want. And it'll all work out. I mean, after all, I did send in an offering. I got a napkin back that somebody prayed over. It's got to work out. It's got to work out. I'm checking all the right boxes. I got all the right motion. I got all the right movement. I'm in all the right places. I mean, why wouldn't God want me to be here? Maybe because he's trying to move you from good to best. It's not that God doesn't want to reach those people. It's the difference between the perfect will of God and the permissive will of God. The most miserable person in the world is not the drug addict who's shooting up drugs last night. It's not the person who's struggling. It's the Christian who's living their life in the permissive will of God. The place God just permitting them to be. Letting them live there. Letting them exist. Letting them just be in that realm. What God is wanting to do is move us to that place from permissive to perfect. I'm telling you, God did not create you to just exist. He created you to live linearly, not circularly but to live your life that your life may live, leave an impact. There was the right method, the right movement at the right moment. All of a sudden, Bigeria was a no-go. Galatia was a no-go. Bithynia was a no-go. So they just stayed where they were at until they heard from God. Boy, that's what we need to do. In your personal life, stay where you are till you hear from God. If God's not speaking, then don't stop moving, but just stay in the field that he positioned you in till he puts you in the field that he's calling you to. God's wanting to do something unique in your heart and your life. And the very thing that you're resisting the most, maybe I was talking to somebody just this week, they hate their job so much, they're ready to move on to something else, and here and, and the, the door is just not open. And I said, could it be that God has positioned you there that you're the only believer in that whole workplace. You're the only light shining into all that darkness. And you're just so content. You're so hell-bent on getting to the next field. Because you don't want to stay and impact the one where you are. Now, I know that's where you say, preacher, you've gone, you've gone from preaching to meddling, but it's okay. Here's what I want you to understand. That God is trying to move us to the place where he can use our life to impact a city for the gospel of Jesus Christ. They stayed where they were. And guess what? God spoke. In the middle of the night. They heard a word from God. And it says come to Macedonia. 
And you know what they did? They got up the next morning. They didn't say, well, I'd sure love to go to Macedonia because God said so. But maybe when I recruit, recoup the funds that I've lost from going to these other places, I'll have enough money to now go to Macedonia. No, 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 no. They got up the next morning. And you know what they did? They began to make plans to go to Macedonia. What God is wanting to do in your heart, in your life, he's wanting to move. But maybe he's got to get you still enough to hear him. But you're so busy, I'm so busy, planning, plotting, and strategizing. And boy, I'm guilty here because I'm a visionary. And I'm always dreaming up something that somebody else has to build and make successful. That in the process of doing that, we may very, may very well miss the very voice of God. The very thing you're hating the most may be the very thing God wants to do the most in. Wow. They went there. You heard the story at the end of it. Right when they got there, they went down. I met this lady named Lydia. And then came the church at Philippi. And then came something else. And then came something else. And then came something else. Why? Because they were willing to hear from God and not just be in doing all the right things in all the right ways, in all the wrong places. They were willing to get to the field that God had positioned them for. So that they could make a difference for the glory of God. In this new year, don't live your life running in circles. Don't be so committed to what you think is what God wants that you miss what it is God's trying to do. The very thing that you hate the most may be the very thing that God's trying to bless the most. After all, he is the author and finisher of your faith. After all, he is the alpha and the omega. Would you allow him to get there? And make a difference for the glory of God in your life. In your life. I'm going to close with this. When we struck off to Haiti our first trip, we uh, were committed. We had the tickets. Had everything in place. We had everything but uh, a contact in Haiti. We had everything but somebody to pick us up at the airport. We had everything but a place to stay. We had everything but a translator. So basically what we had was a whole lot of dreams and a whole lot of nothing. It was uh, two nights before we were to leave, Pastor Ralph and I. He was working, I think, in Houston. And he called me. And we began to talk. I said, well... I guess what we could do is just go to Haiti and rent a Suburban and ride around and figure it out. Yeah, boy, there's a dumb plan. And as we talked and began to work through that, I said, well, I guess what we could do, Pastor, is just say we miss God. God hadn't opened the door, then we miss it. Just cancel the trip. And so we talked for a few moments. It was an awkward silence. You know that I hate it when he's right statement, no matter who makes it. And he said, well, I'll tell you what we'll do. Tonight, let's pray. If God wants us in Haiti, then we have to have somebody to pick us up at the airport. We have to have a translator. We have to have a place to stay. 
God gives us those three things by in the morning, then we'll still go. If not, we'll just cancel. Went and prayed. What a long night. Got up. Before I got up the next morning, I already had a voicemail from somebody I didn't know who offered us to pick us up at the airport, a place to stay, and a train ticket. Wow. Okay. You don't have to have a doctorate degree from seminary to realize, okay, God, I'm hearing you. See, but maybe God's just trying to get us to the place where we get to the end of ourselves, where we're willing to admit, God, if you're not in this, I won't go. And quit trying to work up a bunch of stuff in the flesh. And get to the place where we can hear from God. See, we could have went to Haiti. We could have rented a, a van. We could have rode around the countryside. And we could have made a mess of things. And we could have done all that in our own strength. Or we could get to the point where we say, God, I'm willing. I'm willing to stand before the church and say, I missed you. I guess that was just fancy dreaming. And it wasn't your time. When you get to that place and you lay it all on the altar, you get to the place where God can breathe life. I know you've got the right method. I know you've got movement. But is it the right moment? Is it the right moment? Is it the right moment? God has brought you here for this time, for this moment, for such a time as this. To partner up, to break through, to be a missionary to your culture group to your neighborhood, to your workplace and live your life on purpose with a purpose. I've had a conversation with this person quite a bit about this job. Finally yesterday I said, well, why don't you just quit? If you're not going to have conversations about it and you're not going to try to make a difference and you're not going to engage it, just quit. You need me to Write the letter. It's like beating your head against the wall. Let's just get to the place where we can just get to the place where we say, God, I just want you. I just want you. Lord, it's not about a method. <laughs> it's not about a movement. It's about being in the Spirit.